الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Beloved brothers, sisters and elders in Islam Allah says in Surah Al-Shu'ara verses 88-89 يوم لا ينفع مال ولا بنون إلا من أتى الله بقلب سليم There's a day that we should all be mindful of the day of Qiyamah. That day on which all the property that we own now and all the support that we have of friends and family and children, all of that will not benefit us. The only thing that will benefit on that day of Qiyamah is if you come to Allah, the qalbin salim, with a heart that is sound. Now, my dear brothers, and sisters, we have discussed the heart numerous times, and today we will have a look at it again from three angles. Number one, the importance of the heart, and much has been said on that, but a reminder is good for the believer, insha'Allah. Then we will have a look at some of the signs of a sound heart, so that we can check ourselves, especially in preparation for Ramadan, which is on our doorstep. And then we'll have a look at some methods of healing the heart, some activities that we could occupy ourselves in also once again, especially in preparation for the holy month that is on our doorstep. My dear brothers, I wish to begin, and sisters, by saying that there are many things that humans focus upon when they cast their gaze upon you. There are many things that they focus upon. Some are impressed by your length, some are impressed by your eloquence, some are impressed by your breath, some are impressed by your strength, some are impressed by your riches, etc., etc., etc. But in the court of Allah, Allah is only impressed by what you have done and the motives for what you have done. Allah only looks at two things, your actions and what was in the heart when that action occurred. So the Prophet of Allah beautifully says in the hadith, it comes in Sahih Muslim, إن الله تعالى لا ينظر إلى صوركم وأموالكم. Allah doesn't look to your forms, nor does Allah look to your property. ولكن ينظر إلى قلوبكم وأعمالكم. But rather Allah looks to your hearts, and Allah looks to your deeds. Before I continue, I'm speaking about the heart today, but there's another thing also that I've noticed. Something that we take comfort in. But there is no real comfort in it at all. There is no real comfort in it at all when we realize that on that day, Allah will weigh only what we had done and the motives for what we had done. Nothing else will be weighed. What is it that I, I, want to, I want to refer to? I've noticed, especially in the framework of ibadat and mu'amalat, interactions with, with Allah, with our Lord, and interactions with other human beings, that we tend to have this opinion that there's another me, a better me, the real me. And this other me, the better me, the real me, will make its, its, its appearance when the conditions are appropriate. And I'm not the person that I am now. That rude individual, that crude individual, that negligent individual, I'm not that one. I'm the other one. 
that is just waiting for circumstances to be proper. So I'm not that man that is swearing my husband. I'm not that woman that is disobedient. Sorry, I said it wrong. I'm not that man that is swearing my wife. I'm not that woman that is disobedient to my husband and does not appreciate what he gives me. I'm actually another woman. I'm another man. Had he been the man that he should have been, and had she been the woman that she should have been, then the real me will come out. The same with the ibadah. The ibadah. I'm not so regular with salah now, but that's not the real me. The real me is regular with salah. It's just that the conditions is not there for that regularity just yet. My dear brother and sister, that other you is an imaginary you. And frequently that other you will never exist. And on the day of Qiyamah, Allah will not speak to that other you. Allah will speak to the you that was and the you that is. And in the sight of Allah, Allah will weigh your deeds. And in the weighing of your deeds, there are two acknowledgements. There's immediate acknowledgement of your deed, what you had actually done, not what you think you could have done had circumstances been different. And in the weighing of the deed, there's acknowledgement that the quality of the deed is dependent upon what was in the heart. Did the deed have ikhlas? Allah is not so interested in the adat, the amount. Had Allah been interested in the amount, they would be counting your deeds on the day of Qiyamah. Allah is more interested in the quality of the deeds. And that is why Allah is weighing them on the day of Qiyamah. And there's nothing that adds more to the quality of your deeds than whether you had done it to please Allah or whether you had done it to please His creation. If you had done it to please Allah, and it was maximum that intention only to please Allah, then the quality is maximum, inshallah. But if it was done to please Allah's creation, then frequently the quality is zero. Frequently the quality is zero. We'll have a look at that just now, inshallah. So the first point is that Allah will look at, your, at our hearts on the day of Qiyamah, and Allah will look at our deeds. The second point, with regards to the importance of the heart, is that the heart, in the framework of my body and my existence, is the king. And not only is it a king, it is an obeyed king. It is a king that cannot be disobeyed. So that's why the Prophet of Allah says beautifully in the following hadith, Allah inna fil jasadi mudgha. Behold, in the body there is a lump of flesh. When this lump of flesh goes the way of piety and obedience to Allah, then the entire body is pious and obedient. Why the fasadat? But if this lump of flesh goes the way of corruption, then fasad al kullu, then the entire body goes the way of corruption. And then the Prophet says, Allah, behold, harfutanbi, behold, wahiyal qalb, that lump of flesh. It is the heart. It is the heart. So if the king is pious, then the citizens are pious. And if the king is impious, then the citizens are impious. It is therefore not a wonder that the Arabs actually have the saying. They say, uh, People are on the religion of their kings. Whatever the king is like, the people, they are normally like that as well. Because they tend to select the best amongst them. So if they are a sinful nation, they will select the best, the best sinner amongst them. 
And that is how it goes in Allah knows best. The third thing about the heart. So we know Allah is focusing on the heart. We have learned that the heart is the commander and every other body part obeys the heart. The third thing about the heart is that the heart is fickle. It is fickle and it easily suffers change. In fact, when you change your mind about something, one of the, English, the ways of saying this in the English language is to say, he had a change of heart. He had a change of heart. So his heart became another heart. And this is part of the problem with the heart. The heart sways this way today, it sways that way tomorrow. And if you are going to be judged based upon what is on your heart, or in your heart, and your heart is a fickle being, it can easily sway this way, it can easily sway that way, then you need to have constant attention on this heart. And I say, let the intention mark on the way to go, then you stop, boom, want to go to the Come terug, come terug. What's it for today? So you need to be studying him regularly and seeing which direction is he turning today. The Sahabi Miqdad ibn al-Aswat radiallahu anhu, he used to say, La aqulu fi rajlin khayran wa la sharran. I will not praise a man nor dispraise a man. Hatta anzura ma yukhtamu lahu until I see which condition he dies in. Until I see which condition he dies in. And he says the reason for this is that I heard the Prophet of Allah saying, the heart of man changes even more than a pot. When the contents is bubbling. So while the contents is bubbling and all those things are mixing, whatever it's about to become, you understand, due to the heat and the bubbling of the water, the heart has an even greater potential to become something else. So whatever condition that man is in now, I will still not praise him. I will wait till he dies. I will wait to see which condition he dies on. Because at the end of the day, you are only as good as what you end upon. Al-umuru bil khawatim. Matters are in accordance with how they are concluded. Not how they are begun. Not how it is in the middle. But rather with how it is concluded. So if the person dies a pious person, then surely he was pious. If the person dies a sinner, then surely the person was a sinner. It is why the poet said, Beware of a heart that can change at any time and turn in any direction. In fact, the heart is not called the heart for no other reason than the fact that it changes all the time. The word qalb in the Arabic language it actually means a thing that changes. It means a thing that has a form. You understand? And it can assume a new form. Like in Tajweed, what is the word Qalb? The practice Qalb or Inqilab in Tajweed is what? Is when a what turns into a what? A noon turns into a meme. Then we call it Inqilab. So actually when something changes, it's called Inqilab. You understand? So the word Qalb has that meaning, changing. This is why in another hadith it comes in Muslim Ahmad and in Sahih Muslim as well. The Prophet says, Mathalul Qalbi, the example of the heart, Karishatin, is like a feather. Falatin, or Falatin, in a desert land. So there are, there, there are no buildings to keep the wind away. The wind can blow easily and with full force, and you are like a feather 
in that piece of barren land. So what does the wind do to you, your heart, that feather? And then the Prophet goes on and he says, The winds, they blow it upside down, topsy-turvy, any way the wind wants to blow it. So we need to watch this heart, this fickle being, when our entire success is dependent upon this heart. And this heart has the ability to quickly change from this condition to the next. Then it means that the heart must be studied, the heart must be watched. And one of the reasons that the heart constantly changes is that the heart, and this is point number four, is constantly subjected to temptations. The Prophet Allah says it in a lengthy hadith. He says, تُعْرَضُ الْفِتَنُ عَلَى الْقُلُوبِ كَأَرْضِ الْحَصِيرِ عُودًا عُودًا That a heart is subjected to temptations. Temptations come upon a heart as how a reed mattress or a reed carpet has stick, 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 stick. In a like manner, it's fitna, 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 fitna. And then ultimate fitna, fitna of death, and then you die. You understand? So your life is one fitna after the next, while the heart is fickle. So how do you survive? How do you survive? An entire Jumu'ah was given on the idea of fitna, temptation. And in the Jumu'ah, we highlighted that the ulama, such as the scholar Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, had said that there are two primary fitnas. Fitna to shahwa and fitna to shubha. A fitna that attaches to your shahwa, your appetites. It attaches to your inclinations. You know the thing is wrong, but somehow you find it difficult to avoid it. I said it perhaps in a joke fashion, but it's very serious. Somebody would say, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he means he knows it is wrong, and he really wants to avoid it, but for some reason or the other, he just can't avoid it. So that means his shahwa, his carnal passions and the like, is too powerful for him. His heart is not well trained, and this is why his shahwa is overtaking him. Another fitna is fitna to shubha, where the aim is to convince the mind. Deen is haq, 100% haq. And if you are a true believer, then that is your belief. But every day your concept of deen is being attacked by kufr, and it is being attacked by fisk out there. The kafir does not believe that his way of life is bad. No, he believes it to be good. And every day he is offering his way of life to you. Frequently the sinner does not believe his way of life to be bad. He deems it to be good. And every day he's making arguments and inviting you to his banquet of sin. So every day your mind is being attacked. What's on for me, Jinna? What does your fro agree? Oscar must swing. Dakekada, say, even wine, but to lanes down as a swingers clap every Friday for knit. He can't for knit and come. That's how many penafats are swinging. Masalan, for example, if you don't know what's swinging, Mashallah. May Allah increase you. May Allah keep you like that. Inshallah. May Allah keep you like that. Allah knows best. But this is the type of things that's happening in today's time. People have an argument for everything. And yeah, my dear brothers, don't think that we are new in this. The sun sees nothing new. Everything is old. There's a poem in the Jahili period. What is the Jahili period? The Jahili period is the period prior to the advent of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Yeah, you need to understand, my dear brother, before I continue, that there are three Jahiliyas, three periods of ignorance. The period of ignorance prior to the Prophet, the period of ignorance that we are in now, up till Nabi Isa, 
And then the final period of ignorance up till Qiyamusa'ah, when the final hour will come. But make no mistake, we are in the Jahiliyyah now. So the arguments they made in the Jahiliyyah, similar arguments will be made today. So here's how people are arguing in favor of zina, in favor of this, and in favor of that, in favor of homosexuality. Similar arguments used to exist. Like for example, this Jahili, this poet of the age of ignorance, he says, it's advisable for you to sleep with your own daughter. That's his whole argument. Eh? How does he make the argument? He says, what if it is so? That with your limited finance, you could only marry an ugly woman. Maybe you're a handsome man. But you could marry only an ugly woman. But then what happens? Fate had it so that you gave birth to a beautiful daughter. Or she gave birth to a beautiful daughter. Then everything that she became, her intellect was a gift from you. Her kindness was a gift from you. Her mannerisms and everything was a gift from you. So all your investment and then you give it to another man. Somehow there's a rational argument in there that somewhat makes rational sense. But if you are a man of Iman, if you are a person of Iman, you would find the very suggestion abhorrent, disliked. It is as if somebody is offering you a rotten tomato, but is somehow trying to explain the benefits of it. You know, inside this rotten banana, uh, tomato, there is uh, antibiotics. A study has been done on the, the edges of this rotten tomato, and it is discovered that if you, if you inject just a small piece of it, there will be penicillin, so you can make use of it. Yeah, there might be a use somewhere out there. But the reality is the arm of us, the, the bulk of us, are not interested in rotten tomatoes, and we are not interested in your argument. But this will always exist. This will always exist. Somehow, they will be able to come up with an explanation where rotten tomatoes are tasty. And this is happening in every generation, and Allah knows best. If I were to make another example, in the time of the Prophet, he found out that there was a Sahabi that had an inclination to zina. So what had actually happened over there? Somehow in that Sahabi's mind, the shubuhat, the specious arguments in favor of zina, had somehow taken hold of his mind. And then the Prophet of Allah called him. Then the Prophet of Allah asked him a few simple questions that broke all the shubuhat. All the wrong arguments that was in his mind, it was broken instantly by what the Prophet of Allah had to say to him. The Prophet asked him simply, would you permit it to your mother? And he said, no. He said, would you permit it to your daughter? No. Would you permit it to your sister? No. And after saying a few things like that, the prophet asked him, any woman you're sleeping with is somebody's mother? And it is somebody's daughter? And it is somebody's sister? So that's how you don't permit it for these ladies. It hurts you. And you feel that you are offended and your honor is taken. So they will feel the same. They will feel the same. Would you permit it to your wife? Do you think the next guy is permitting it to his wife? So if you get shot, then don't blame Islam, eh? Blame your own stupidity. Islam is so strict on this masala. Islam says a Muslim should not propose in the proposal of his brother. Why? Because the most common way a man dies is due to a woman. Just study history. The most common way a man dies is due to a woman, but not at the end of a man at the end of another man who also wants that woman. And Allah knows best. In fact, sometimes thousands have to die because of one woman. Study the story of the Trojan horse. Study what happened over there. 
And Allah knows best. The problem does not lie with women. If you're mistakenly thinking that. Uh, there's a poem that I unfortunately don't know, where a woman that was a poetess met a man that was a poet. And then he composed some poetry against women, saying that women are like shayateen, they are like devils, and that they lead us astray. And then the woman went up against him in the poetry and she said, no, we are rayahin. We are merely sweet-smelling flowers. And the problem does not lie in us, the problem lies in the men that can't resist the smelling. Allah knows best. You understand? Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Right? So the heart is subject to constant temptation. Constant temptation. And there are two fitnas, the fitna of shahwa, the fitna of the flesh, and the fitna of shuba, the fitna of the mind. It is why some of the ulama of the past and the pious people used to say, Ihdharu fitnatal alim al-fajir. Beware of the sinful scholar. From the angle that he is a scholar, he is not subject to shuba. But from the angle that he is a fazir, a sinner, it would appear that he is fallen to shahwa. But we will trust the angle that is a scholar, isn't it? And sometimes we overlook the angle that is a sinner. And also fear al-abid al-jahil, the pious man that is ignorant. From the angle that he is pious, He's overcome his shahwa, but from the angle that he's a jail, he's probably falling towards the, sh the shubas. So the problem with that alim, that he's a sinner, is that he's fallen to shahwat. And if you come in his company, he will cause you to fall to shahwat also. Sicknesses of the body, where you can't resist your patience. And if you go to that pious man, though he's pious and he's avoiding the sicknesses of shahwa, since he's not learned, He's probably falling to many sicknesses of shubha, of the mind. Many things that are in Islam, un Islamic, he has probably conquered his mind. And while he's trying to get you to make ibadah, at the same time, unfortunately, he's pushing a whole lot of jahl, ignorance with that. So beware of them, because their fitna is the ultimate fitna. My dear brothers, another quality of the heart, and I've mentioned this before, is that the heart, it produces value to your deeds. It produces value to your deeds. Such as in Surah Baqarah, Allah says, وَمَنْ يَرْتَدْ مِنْكُمْ عَنْ دِينِي فَيَمُتْ وَهُوَ كَافِرٌ فَأُولَٰئِكَ حَبِطَتْ أَعْمَالٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ Whosoever of you turns on his heels, he becomes murtad. And he dies as a kafir. Such a person, all his deeds, good, has come to an end. It has been rendered null and void. حَبِطَتْ All of his good deeds, فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ In this world and in the next. I remind you also of that hadith where the Prophet speaks of the day of Qiyamah of ulama coming and saying that they learned ilm for the sake of Allah and then Allah saying to them that you learn so it can be said that you are a great alim. Shuhada, martyrs coming on the day of Qiyamah and saying that they died in the path of Allah for the sake of Allah. But it is said to them, you died like that so it could be said that you are brave and then all of these people are dragged and they are cast into the fire. So the action was a great action. But it wasn't connected to Allah. There was no ikhlas. So on the day of Qiyamah, Allah doesn't want it. Allah doesn't want it. In another hadith, Allah says beautifully, Of all those who are made partners, I'm the most independent. So if you share a deed with me and another, I give the deed to the other, I don't have anything to do with it. Some other people will share. 
Like we humans will rather share. But Allah does not share. If you devote yourself to Allah, Allah accepts. If you devote yourself to Allah and another, Allah does not accept. In this religion, there is only one. And that one is Allah. Allah. La ma'abuda bihaqqin illallah. There's no being worthy of worship but Allah. My dear brothers, from the idea now of the importance of a heart, how would I know if I had a, if I had a sound heart? A qalb that is salim, that is worthy of being presented in the court of Allah. So there are numerous signs. They just quickly mention six signs and then focus on healing the heart if it is not on the level that it should be. Number one that we have noticed about people that they have a sound heart is that they do not consider themselves citizens of the dunya. They consider themselves citizens of the akhirah. While for some reason or the other they are here in the dunya, but they are on the way to their homeland. They are on the way to their watan. And this is why the Prophet of Allah tells us in one hadith, Kun fi dunya gharib, or sabil. Be in the dunya as if you are a stranger to these lands. Or be in the dunya as if you are merely a wayfarer. On the way to a destination. And that destination is your homeland, the akhirah. But don't take this dunya as your house. So that's the first sign of a person whose heart is sound. He is a citizen of the akhirah. He is not a citizen of the dunya. Number two. A person that has a sound heart is mindful of Allah at all times. And we've mentioned this in numerous Jumas. A Muslim is always making the dhikr of Allah. It doesn't matter what he is busy with. The only time he's not making the dhikr of Allah is when Allah tells him, don't make my dhikr. Which is why, as he is about to enter the toilet, since he can't make the dhikr of Allah while he's in the toilet, he makes the dhikr as he enters. And then when he leaves the toilet after being prohibited from making the dhikr of Allah in the toilet, then he immediately starts out by making the dhikr of Allah again. Which other nation on earth, when they go to the toilet, thinks of Allah, thinks of their God. And never mind that, when you are about to enjoy your lawful wife, then even there you are told that there is a particular dhikr. So it doesn't matter. Even if we are busy with the lowest of deeds, not sinful halal, going to the toilet, we make the dhikr of Allah just before, just after. And even if we are busy with some of the most ultimate deeds where no man would want to think of Allah, still the way of the true believer is that he is mindful of his Allah. Number three, Allah is his primary concern. Allah is his primary concern. And his success on the day of Qiyamah is his primary concern. He is a person that has one hum, one worry, and that worry is his akhirah. He's got one worry, and that worry is pleasing Allah. And it doesn't matter what other people have to say. Which is why one day, somebody that disagrees with me, on a few points, he came up to me and he said to me, Jaisa Kafir, you are a disbeliever. And then immediately this point came to mind. And I told myself, you know what? There were two possibilities here. One possibility is that you are Allah, and the other possibility is that you are not Allah. Were it the first possibility, I would be very worried now. But since it's the second, what do I care? I say, you know, Allah has visited the Torah, and say, oh, kafir, whoa, But since you are not Allah, what do you know? What do you know? At the same time, perhaps that man has some truth in his statement. Perhaps there is something that I'm doing that is not 100% correct. I should at least give it some thought. 
Wat is ik misschien bezig mee? Because here we have to remember, al-mu'min mir'atul mu'min, the true believer is the mother of another believer. So maybe at that moment in time, he's acting as my mother. He's telling me something about myself that I cannot clearly see. I can only see it when I look into the mirror. So I shouldn't totally cast it aside also. I must give it some thought. Is there something wrong in my following of the sunnah of the prophet? Maybe this man is seeing something that I'm not seeing, and Allah knows best. The fourth quality is that the believer considers the loss of ibadah, even nafal ibadah, greater than the loss of his, all his dunya possessions. And here we find stories of the Sahaba, and we find stories of the Tabi'un, that if their love for a piece of dunya caused them to miss something like a nafal salah or a nafal zikr, they would immediately donate that item. Didang would because didang prevent from my, from my nafal. And in preventing me from my nafal, it is preventing me from becoming the wali of Allah. So this thing needs to go. And Allah knows best. Another sign of a man, his heart, is a salim heart, is that he's stingy with his time, but he's generous with his possessions. But he says, fat it. But when he says, he will with me. I have to do it. I have to Allah. I have to do it. Do you understand? So don't take my time. Rather take my dunya. And Allah knows best. And then the sixth quality, and there are many others, but we end on this with regards to the qualities, is that whenever Allah's name is mentioned, and especially when Allah's name is mentioned via tilawatul Qur'an, and especially when that Qur'an is recited by somebody that practices the Qur'an, and somebody that knows the tajweed of the Qur'an, then the strings of that person's heart, the strings, they shake. Allahu Akbar. Those strings, they shake. Whenever the Quran is recited, or Allah's name is mentioned, it is the name of his or her beloved. It is the words of his or her beloved. So whenever that word is mentioned, the heart shakes. There's a, a set of poetry that the ulama have fondness for. It is known as the story of Layla and Majnoon. There was a lady by the name of Layla that a man fell in love with. He became known as Majnoon, the insane one. And there are many reasons why he's considered the insane one, one of which is that Layla was actually a very ugly lady. So some, there's a few occasions where in his love for Layla, the ulama try and explain to you the supposed love that you're supposed to have for Allah. Like for example, when they told him, why do you love Layla when she's so ugly? He says, if you look through your eyes, then Layla is ugly. But if you look through the eyes of Majnoon, then you will see the beauty. <laughs> and one of the couplets that appear in the poem is that Majnoon says, I pass by the house of Layla and I kiss its walls. It is not the love of the walls that fills the heart. It is the love of the one inside. It is the love of the one inside it. So we Muslims every day, we aim in one direction, towards that holy Kaaba. And we sujood in that direction. We are not worshippers of that Kaaba. We are not worshippers of that stone. We are the worshippers of the one whose house it is. So almost similar to the story. So now you see why the ulama like the story of Layla and Majnoon. There's a whole lot of similarities that is running and Allah knows best. My dear brothers, my time ran out. 
I wanted to also speak on the healing of the heart, what the evidences that come in Quran and Hadith. I will just briefly mention some of the acts. Perhaps in a future Jumu'ah, we can focus upon it. So the healing of the heart, my dear brothers, quickly, will be via the recitation of the Quran. Firstly, via reciting the very words of Allah. The second thing would be via constant dhikr of Allah. Because the mortal enemy of the heart, the terminal illness of the heart, is that you are unmindful of Allah. So how do you heal yourself of that terminal illness? Is that you become mindful of Allah. And there's no greater way to become mindful of Allah than directly via the dhikr of Allah. Thirdly, the acquisition of religious and other beneficial knowledge. Because in this manner you will protect yourself from that fitna that we had discussed with this fitna of shubha, that sickness and disease of the mind, where the mind is turned away and it causes the heart then to turn away. The fourth quality is that you make a daily muhasaba of yourself. On a daily basis, you reckon your current position. And you ask yourself, if I die now, what is my position with Allah? If I die now, will I be successful? And yeah, I need you to know this, my dear brother and sister in Islam. You shouldn't fear death. You shouldn't fear death. If you have a good relationship with Allah, why do you fear death? So one of the ulama says, the reason people fear death is because in this world they are building mansions, while in the next world there's a tzotzom beni. There's a sheikh and kaya So who wants to leave this mansion to go to that sheikh? But if you were building a mansion on that side, like what is so much with this side, then obviously I'm ready. Let's die. Let's die as soon as possible. Let's die. So why are we afraid? That is why we are afraid. So we need to change that equation, inshallah. And then finally to finish off, we need to focus on the consumption of halal only. And not only must we avoid that which is haram, we must avoid that which is also doubtful. The only way to ensure that you are on halal is that you avoid some halal for fear of the haram. That halal is like a buffer zone, right? And there are many benefits. There's my good day when my man is strong and I'm 100% on halal. And then there's my weak day when my man is not so strong. So on the weak day, Maybe I will fall into the buffer zone. But since the buffer zone is also halal, I'm still safe. But what if I'm only focusing on halal and avoiding only haram? So on my strong day, I'm on halal. And on my weak day, I fall into haram. So that is why the pious people have two halals. There's the halal for every day. And there's the buffer zone halal. If I'm very weak, then I fall into that zone. And Allah knows best. The Prophet Allah likens this to a man that herds his sheep on the borders of the king's ground. If you herd your sheep on the borders of the king's ground, then very soon some of those sheep will find itself on the king's ground. The honey king will pack you. But if you herd your sheep far from the king's ground, if one of the sheep stray, they just stray a little bit nearer to the king's ground, not onto its ground. And then also, my dear brothers, there is a hadith. We don't have time to discuss all of it, where the Prophet Allah speaks of a man traveling a far distance to worship Allah, appearing in the presence of Allah with his head disheveled and lifting up his hands and crying unto Allah. But that which he eats is haram, and that which he drinks is haram, and that which he dresses with is haram. How can Allah accept his dua? 
So we need the protection of Allah. If Allah is with us, there is none to resist us. And if Allah is not with us, then we lose. The reason the Ummah is in the problem that it is in is because it would appear that Allah is not with us. And the primary reason Allah is not with us, and I end upon this, Hubbud dunya wa maut. We love this dunya and we hate to die. While the Sahaba were the opposite. They didn't love this dunya except for how it could improve the akhirah. And they were always prepared to die. How do you fight a nation that wants to die? And Allah knows best we end there. I say, 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 I say